Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Staking Mondays. Staking Mondays is a weekly show to share specific knowledge from the staking industry leaders with our community. And of course, this is powered by stakingrewards.com. At Staking Rewards, we are helping investors to navigate the landscape of yield-generating digital assets to find the best opportunities to earn interest on their crypto. My name is Ken Garofalo, and I am extremely excited to welcome today's guest. He was born and raised in France, moved to New York, received a master's in applied mathematics from the New York University in 2007, worked as a research engineer for Google, X, and Waymo, got into strategy development and market making while working as a quantitative analyst at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. He published the Tezos white paper in 2014, left his corporate career in 2016 to work full-time on Tezos, which is the first liquid proof of stake protocol ever running in production. Now, since over two years already, it's a, it's a true pioneer and Arthur is a true pioneer of proof of stake. So welcome Arthur Brightman. Hey, thanks and, again. Uh, I got to say the bio is not really accurate. So, uh, you know, for, for the listeners, if you want my bio, you can find it on my website, uh, ex.rs. Okay, excellent. Guys, head over there for a more accurate bio. And Arthur, just a little icebreaker for you here. So what was the first crypto project that really, you know, spiked your interest outside of BTC and Ethereum or really outside of Tezos first and why? I mean, there weren't that many projects, you know, at the time where I was really uh, got interested into it. Um, you know, the, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are early, uh, but early projects I got interested into were um, Zcash. Before it was, you know, before Zcash was even uh, uh, a, a coin, when it was a zero cash paper, I thought that was quite uh, that was quite interesting. I also had some early interest in uh, NXT which uh, I, I think was a bit early for its time and, 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 and doesn't get enough credit. I think it was a pretty cool, uh, it was a pretty cool set of ideas uh, pretty early. Um, among the, uh, but you know, among non-coins, uh, non I think um, some of the early uh, exchanges, of course, were, uh, were interested in what they, what, what they were bringing. But um, I, I remember, you know, like projects that were trying to use uh, cryptocurrencies as opposed to, you know, be cryptocurrencies were, uh, were quite attractive. And I, and I don't remember the name, but I, I know there were a few stock exchanges that were uh, they were running on uh, on 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 Bitcoin, very very fly by night. And I I, I love the uh, uh, you know the, the aesthetic uh, of that was certainly quite quite interesting. And so um, and I, I wish I remembered the names of them. They were they were two of uh, they were two of them, but I. Uh, uh, name escapes at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's some cool insights there. And, and so now we're going to get into some more questions regarding proof of stake. Uh, that's where we consider you to be having the most expertise and of course, being the pioneer of the first liquid proof of stake protocol. So with the Tezos white paper being written and released by you, LM Goodman, I think, right in 2014, you've, you've already identified so many problems that required innovations in the crypto space. So when did you first start learning about proof of stake? And did you ever question the rise of proof of stake? So my interest in proof of stake, I think um, probably dates from around 2012, I would say 2000, 2013. And, you know, it, it, it was mostly a reflection around um, a couple. So my issues was the following with, uh, with, with proof of work that essentially in proof of work, you have to continuously issue 
new tokens in order to pay for your security. And you don't exactly know how much you should be, uh, you don't exactly know how much you should be paying. And the idea that somehow you can have a cap is a little, I think, fanciful because at some point when you run out of subsidy, you have to rely on transactions. And I was of the view that, and I still am of the view that blockchains are eventually going to scale, that block space and transaction space is not going to be very scarce. And that can put you in a space where, you know, at first, as, as you increase the um, throughput of blockchains, the amount of transaction fees that can be paid can go up. You have, you know, cheaper transactions, more transaction, total amount goes up. At some point, um, the supply starts exceeding the demand and it can actually go down and, and go towards the cost of actually processing the transaction. And the cost of processing transaction can be quite low. So once you get into the situation, it's hard. You have to kind of enforce artificial scarcity around transactions in order to subsidize your chain. In general, I, I don't really believe in, in transaction tax. And you can, you can view an artificial restriction on transaction as a form of transaction tax. So paying for security with transaction tax didn't seem to make as much sense as inflation, but you don't want to have this high level of inflation that goes to proof of work for a long time. So how can you have security for long term with very, very with inflation as low as possible. And for me, this was proof of stake. So that's how I uh, that, that's how I came to it, uh, essentially, in, 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 in trying to have something that could be secure in the long run without depending on transaction tax, but also could have minimal inflation. And I don't think you can really do that with proof of work. To your other question, uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't doubt for a second that the future was going to be proof of stake. Um, there was, you know, uh, a ton of research going on, and it was clear from the beginning that proof of stake had different trade-offs uh, than proof of work, and that the parts, um, you know, the, the the part where proof of work works better than proof of stake were way overemphasized. Like the importance was way overemphasized, and the part where proof of stake actually has advantages over proof of work were um, way underemphasized. So, I, you know, I, and I, I think, you know, it's, it's logic come true. I don't think there's any like, chain today that launches with proof of work. The, the last that did were, um, I think, uh, and, and I, I may say something stupid, uh, yeah, is, I want to say nervous, but I'm not sure if nervous is proof of work. Um, there's one of these, which is proof of work, and there was um, uh, the one with the lisp smart contract language. I, sorry, I'm terrible with names nowadays, <laughs> today. So there were a couple, I think Grin also recently like, launched maybe a couple of years ago with proof of work. And, and that's been it, like everything, almost every project now that launches uh, is proof of stake or, or, or you know, this GIA proof of space time. But uh, um, it's, 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 it's almost become a non-starter today to launch a proof of work coin. Yeah, exactly. And we, we definitely recognize that trend here at Staking Rewards and uh, our focus is mainly on proof of stake chains as well as we see that as, as the future. Uh, so in regards to the architecture of proof of stake, so when Tezos launched liquid proof of stake, there were no lockups or slashing risks for delegators from the beginning, which was very attractive for many. Mm. Now, other projects, many other projects who have these lockups and slashing risks are working on staking derivatives to address the user experience issue for delegators. So in yeah. your opinion, are lockup periods for stakers or delegators a bad design decision from those projects? And why does Tezos have none of those? So the main, uh, Tezos was not, uh, the idea of, Tezos was not built specifically for delegation. Um, and it's called a delegate, but the, the main idea behind it is the following. There was a general criticism um, that 
if you had proof of uh, that if you had proof of stake, your keys would have to be online at all time, right? Early proof of stake model. And it's dangerous. Why would you keep you put your key online at all time? And, and I was like, well, you know, that's that's a sensible answer. So rather than put your key online at a time, the idea is say you can have a different key just for signing blocks. So you're gonna have your main key and you're gonna have your different key. Okay. But then that other key is the one you use for signing blocks. It still needs to have maybe some funded risk. So a portion of your fund is going to be put at risk, um, and that's what's going to um, that's what you're going to to use. So if you if if you build a system like this, you you immediately have the the, the system, which is that uh, you could actually put someone else's key, right? You could put someone else's key, and then and 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 then you're basically uh, renting out to them your delegation your your your, uh, your block creation rights. You receive block creation rights by virtue of holding tokens. You rent it out. Um, the, the thing that was very different in Tezos from, from, with Tezos from other staking uh, protocols or, or designs at the time is that a lot of them focused on saying, in order to receive block creation rights, you need to stake. You need to stake, you get block creation rights, and then you get those blocks and then you create those blocks. And a problem I had with this was, well, let's say there's a, you know, there's a, there's, there's a block reward, right? If, only, if you need to stake to get the block reward, then only those people who stake are gonna get the block reward and, the, and everyone else is going to be diluted. So you might end up with a bunch of inflation or you might force everyone to lock up and then you can't really use your currency. So that's not a great design. And the idea was to say, we're just going to give the block rewards to everyone. So everyone, just by virtue of holding the currency, whether or not you're staking, you're getting the right to create a block. But in order to exercise it, then you need to stake. So it's not stake and then get block reward, it's get block reward and then stake. But the main reason for this was it was based on the idea of having you know, this fixed block reward, uh, fixed as a percentage of the supply, and you don't want people to be diluted. Now, there's an alternative design to this, which doesn't, um, which you know, I, 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 I didn't come up with at the time, but which would work quite well as well, which is to have a reverse auction. So instead you could say, no, 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 the block rewards are only gonna come to people who stake, but how do we avoid diluting? Well, people who stake are going to compete to produce to propose the lowest block reward. So you might decide to say, I want to have 20% of the network staked, like 20% of the money mass should be staked. And then you say, all right, everyone who wants to stake has to propose how much of a reward they're willing to accept in order to stake. And then if you and, and then once they do that, you decide who is it, who amongst them are going to stake. So that way, you already you get the minimal amount of inflation that's required for securing the system. So in Tezos, uh, the funds which are at risk represent about um, currently probably about about twelve percent of the money mass. Um, so those are the funds that can be slashed. And typically, bakers are going to uh, to keep. Uh, 90% of uh, of the uh, of the block, uh, sorry, are going to keep 10% of their baking reward, and they're going to kick 90% uh, of the baking reward they receive to the delegate. What that tells you is that essentially, um, people are getting you know, people would be getting diluted by about 0.5%. It's less than that because you actually have. Um, 20% uh, of the network not staking, but if everyone were staking and the rate was 10%, it would be about you know, 5% a year divided by 10, so about 0.5%. So another way to do it would be to say no delegation, it's just that the block reward is 0.5% a year. Like Essentially what that tells you is 0.5% a year is the amount of inflation that's necessary to pay all the bakers, to pay for all their equipment and so on and so forth. So that would be another way to do it. So in Tezos, we find, we find, the, op, you know, we find the rates 
that you need to pay to block producers by this agreement between delegates and bakers, where the baker says, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep 10%, you keep 90%. That's how we set it. Another way to do it would have been to do it with an auction on chain. Uh, and I think both, uh, both work. But the point was not to say like, oh, let's create a way for people to stake. You know, uh, one thing I say that staking is boring. And, and if, if, if Tezos could work without staking, that would be even better. You know, if you could secure the system without having any, uh, uh, any, 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 any block reward or any of that stuff, that, that would be better. The point is not to stake. That's, you know, that staking is only useful to secure the chain. The, the point is what you do on the chain once it's secure. Yeah, fantastic insights there. And it seems like this the trade-off for the risk of slashing for that fee that the, the bakers are charging. And it sort of has been proven to be working quite well. I, you know, from all the user experience that I'm getting for feedback, everyone really likes the delegation function running the bakers it, you know, on Tezos. Everyone's really pleased with how it's been going. Uh, and what do you think in general is the main advantage that proof of stake has over proof of work? Um, I think that the, uh, I think you get more security for, for, for cheaper, essentially. Like, and, and the reason you get more security for cheaper is that everything is symmetric in proof of work. So in proof of work, one way to think about it is that you're continuously bribing the block producers to be honest. And you're saying, if you're honest, you're getting a reward. If you're not honest, you're not getting a reward. That's essentially it. So the, 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 the benefit for being honest and is the same as a penalty for being dishonest, just you know, opposite sign. In proof of stake, you can have much more of an asymmetry. You can say, look, if you're honest, we'll pay you a little bit. You know, we'll pay you a little bit to compensate for the capital you have to lock up. We'll pay you a little bit for the machine that you have to run. But if you're dishonest, we're going to take a lot of what you have. There's going to be a very, very high cost. And because you can impose a much higher cost for being dishonest um, than a reward for being honest, you can have a much lower reward because you have this asymmetry between the reward and the penalty in proof of stake that you don't have in proof of work. That means you can run proof of stake with much, much lower inflation than you could with proof of work. That's the main advantage of, uh, of proof of stake. It's, 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 it's better if you want to have sound money. For sound money, and, and hence that's what we see, the trend for all new projects launching, more so on the proof of stake side, right? So I think it's well recognized by the industry that there's more advantages for proof of stake. And uh, in regards to, I, I I don't think it's actually recognized that well. I I think uh, I think it's I mean I think people like proof of stake for a variety of reason, and they will say oh it's more environmentally friendly, you know which which might be true as well, or it's just that you know you don't have to uh, you don't have to depend on these miners, and you know you're less sensitive to like fifty percent attacks. They will mention this, but a lot of people still give lip service to this idea popular in Bitcoin circle that somehow proof of work is better for money. You know, it's kind of like oftentimes unchallenged, uh, even though it's actually where, where proof of stake really, really shines. So I, I, I don't think it's quite acknowledged. And a lot of people launching proof of stake platforms, they, they, they don't even want to think of it as money. They're like, no, we're an application platform. This is not about being a, a pet rock or a cryptocurrency. And, you know, I, I think quite, quite the opposite. You know, if you want to be a... Uh, if you want to be a hard asset, you're better off with proof of stakes than, than proof of work. I mean, you're better off being an incumbent. If you want to be a hard asset, you're better off launching 10 years ago. That, you know, like yeah. <laughs> attributing the benefits, you know, attributing like Bitcoin success to uh, to proof of work as opposed to being an incumbent is, 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 is ridiculous. But um, it is, it, you know, being an incumbent is like 
the most the most important uh, thing of all, more than being proof of stake or proof of work. But you know, if you hold everything equal, I think you're better off as proof of stake. Hmm. And and maybe some of those old arguments have to do with a little bit of tribalism that still exists or maximalism uh, within those communities. So, I think that a lot of uh, I think Bitcoin even before they were you know much competition, Bitcoin was attacked very early on a lot for the proof of work. Uh, because, you know, for lack of elegance, energy costs, and so on and so forth. And, you know, it, it used to be that, you know, if you do, if you wanted to defend cryptocurrencies at all, you had to defend proof of work. So defending Bitcoin was defending proof of work. And, and so it, I think it became a big part of the culture that somehow you like, don't attack proof of work. Proof of work is fine. Uh, and so there's kind of like this uh, reflex of, of looking down on proof of stake, even though it's, uh, even though it has all these benefits. Absolutely. And getting into, I guess this is a question on decentralization. Um, what we've seen in the past, we've seen hostile takeovers happen with the Steam blockchain, for instance, that where tokens were custodied on Binance, Huobi, Polynex, and something happened where it ousted all validators on the Steam blockchain. Are you concerned this could happen on Tezos with Coinbase, Kraken, and Binance already owning up to 28% of voting power and rising? Mm. Um, so there's a big difference between you know chains like Steam, which use and and, and this is this has caused a tremendous amount of confusion. But there is a proof of stake type of algorithm that was developed by Dan Larimer for his successive projects, including um, BeatShares, Steam, EOS, uh, and a bunch of others, that he called DPoS, delegated proof of stake. And whenever you have a form of delegation in proof of stake, people will say it's DPoS. So I hear like, oh, Tezos is DPoS because there's delegation in proof of stake. But then they jump from that conclusion and say like, so it's like DPoS, but the DPoS design by Narimer has like, it, it, it's, it's something very, very specific. And the idea is that um, you have a list of, uh, of, of people who want to be validators and then people vote for who they want to be a validator. And then you take the top 100 or the top 20 and they become the validators. So the alleged benefit of doing that is it says, look, you're, you're better off having 20 validators who each have 5% of the network Right, than having a thousand validator where the top three have thirty percent of the network, and that's absolutely true. You know what matters is not the number of validators; is how many validators it takes to get to like thirty percent, forty percent, fifty percent. Now that's true. The problem is that there's absolutely nothing that guarantees that that protects us against civil attacks. There's nothing that prevents you know one validator for you know creating fifty different spots under fifty different names and then being voted. And that's what happened on a chain like Lisk, for example, or a bunch of others. You end up with in almost like a two-party system uh, uh, with people voting. And there's also the fact that if you're smaller, you, you, you can't participate. So in, in, in Tezos, there may be delegation, but there's not this threshold effect, and it's actually proportional to the amount of delegation that you uh, that you get. So I think that makes a huge difference in how these things can be taken over. And, and, and we've seen it in practice. There's been a lot of collusion in uh, in things like you know Larimer's DBoss because there's incentive for it. Um, in Tezos, there's a careful design to make sure there's no incentive for you know bakers to uh, bakers to merge, and there's no incentive for them to seal either. And that's very important to maintain, and it's and it's so easy to lose it. Um, if you take a look, for example, at Solana, they have uh, I don't know if they're I don't know if it's an, you know if it's a website from the Solana Foundation, but they have this website showing validators, and they will you know they will show you a list of validators ranked by stake. And, they, and then they mark the one third line and they say, you know, if you want to help decentralize the network, you need to, uh, you know, to delegate to the people like below this line, 
because it, you know, it increases like centralization. And you look at this and you said, at first, well, that's a great idea. Yeah, we should, you know, like we should tell people to do that, you know, then delegate to smaller ones. The problem is that the minute you've done this, you've created an incentive for civil attacks. Because now, if I'm a validator of this network, I have an incentive to say like, oh shit, I, I, I want people to delegate to me. So I, I want to be below the line because I want to be below the line. I have an interest in splitting myself into two operations. So it's, you know, and, and, and to some extent, I think people who delegate might be able to detect CBLs, but it's not that easy. And I think it's better to not create any. Uh, and every single time I, I hear in this ecosystem of like, let's do an airdrop where we do like, you know, like one, you know, like every baker gets the same amount. I'm like, no, because you don't know who a baker is and you're creating incentives for bakers to split their stake. Don't do that. Uh, it's, or, or like, oh, you know, we should help, you know, like do something that helps a smaller bakers. Like, no, it's not set. This is, I, I've seen proposals like, let's raise the reward for smaller bakers. And that is like the worst fucking idea. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, you, 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 have a, you have a system that's linear. You don't want to mess with that. You really don't want to mess with that. So yeah, to your question, am I concerned? Uh, yeah, it's, it's potential. I mean, so far what we've seen from large exchanges is is not like a uh, desire to take over. It's the opposite. It's more of like, oh no, I have to take part in governance. Can I avoid to do this? You know, uh, exchanges have a lot of things to uh, uh, to deal with, and I think in general they'd rather not be involved in governance and be involved in governance. You know, the one that's the most involved is Kraken, uh, who chooses to vote abstain, which is more than any of the other. We're like, no, no, no. That's voting abstain is just too much of a commitment. Please leave us out of it. And and I get why they're doing it. Um, it's because of the environment that they evolve in. Um, and so I think they're being conservative, um, but I, I get that. There's also, you know, there's simply the fact that um, in uh, the, the main risk for these players, especially like large exchanges, it's not, it's not a tax, right? You're not going to have Coinbase and Kraken and Binance decide to do a 50% attack on the network. Is it's just, you know, because that, that's a form of fraud. They are very well-known entities. They're not going to do that. The main risk is the risk of censorship, right? The main risk is that they say, we don't like this upgrade and we're going to keep voting against it because, uh, you know, maybe we're being pressured in voting against it. It is very, very different to uh, to pressure someone into not doing something and to pressure them into doing something. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing for these exchanges to get pressures to, uh, you know, not validate, for example, not participate. Very, very different to tell them to take a positive action to actually like vote against something or vote for something. So I'm not, I'm not overly worried about uh, about it. Yeah, and it is interesting. Hopefully, some of those exchanges are listening today and can at least, you know, do us the courtesy of uh, voting abstain instead of uh, missing all their blocks and just uh, not participating at all. Um, so next question here is. So why do you think it is that many people in the industry still question proof of stake, kind of like you mentioned before, uh, maybe you said some people still question it. Uh, is the ignorance in comfort or is there still major hurdles that the development of proof of stake needs to overcome? And which challenges do you think we may face for the proof of stake industry? I, so I missed a little bit the, 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 the very beginning of the question. Can you just repeat the first few words? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, what do you think it is that many people in the industry still question about proof of stake. Ah, ah. So it, it depends who in the industry, right? And 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 you know, there's some people you're never going to win over, right? So uh, if you look at if you look at hardcore Bitcoin maximalists, proof of work maximalists, you can talk to them about proof of stake, but you know why? You know, it's not 
it's not it's not that relevant. You want you want to convince people at the margin, not like the, the staunchest opponent of uh, a, a proof of stake. Um, I think a lot of it comes from you know propaganda essentially. So there was a time where people would say proof of stake is like perpetual motion; it doesn't work. You know, it's you know it's impossible. We've proved that it's impossible. And what that refers to is there's a thought experiment around proof of stake, which is that you know you launch a chain in parallel to proof of stake. Let's say the values of the proof of stake chain in parallel run a, a fake chain. And it costs them nothing because it does, it's not costly to produce block, right? And then a, a, a naive user joins the network for the first time and he sees a real chain and he sees a fake chain and he cannot tell the difference between the two. And haha, therefore you can't, you know, therefore, you know, you can fool new users and therefore you require trust and therefore it doesn't work. So it's like proof of, and, and the idea that it's kind of like, uh, it's like perpetual motion is because, well, you know, in order to uh, to secure your system, you need to know who, what the stakes are. But in order to know what the stakes are, your system must be secure. So it's like it's circular; it can't it, it can't work. Um, and yeah, so you do lose the property of proof of work, which is that if you get a very very long chain, you can't tell. Uh, you can't tell without like some external indication. But the idea that it somehow invalidates the whole thing is ridiculous. So first of all, you could get you know uh, all you need might be. To have a data point of like what was the chain a month ago, and there's a ton of transactions on the chain, and every single person using the chain signed a transaction. Also, if you want to be money, let's say you are accepted as money, what branch? Oh, what branch should I use? Well, when you make a purchase, the vendor knows what branch to use. You know, if I want to go and purchase a car with a cryptocurrency, it's like, oh, but which branch is the real one? Well, you know, the one that the vendor accepts. So it's kind of like it's it's, it's this property which is really needs to have in proof of work. Uh, and you don't have any proof of stake. And this, you know, the, 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 the real question is like, do we care about this property? And it turns out that this property is like, it's cool, but it's not really fundamental. It's not a very important, it's not a very important property of the system. Other property like, if the government cracks down on block production, can I easily move my stake? Yes. Can I easily move my ASICs? No. That is way more important than the theoretical problem of saying I'm a naive user and I just connect to the network for the first time. So you know the the, the latter one is angel on pinhead territory, and, and and you solve a lot of problems that cannot be solved with proof of. Uh, so you know you might as well say well proof of work is impossible because in proof of work you cannot punish. Uh, uh, bad behavior more than you can reward good behavior, therefore. No, yeah, there's some properties you can get in proof of stake, there's some properties you can't get in proof of work. So the propaganda that it's impossible is somehow um, still stuck. All the nothing at stake problem, all these things. It was, it was very, very effective. Um, the other idea that, you know, that, 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 that comes around is like, oh, it's just replicating the banking system. Uh, no. So there's no freedom of entering the the thing that there's basically two visions of the financial industry that people have in this space and um one is that oh it's this coterie of like wealthy players and these wealthy players are, are are basically building a club for themselves and they're like kicking everyone out and and, and the other version is that uh this is a you know this is highly regulated this is highly highly constrained and you need uh, a license for absolutely everything it's an extremely permission environment and you know, one may be feeding a little bit into the other, but I think the, the, the second vision is far more correct than the first one. Um, and you know, this idea that the, the main difference is freedom of uh, freedom of entry. Anyone can you know anyone can come in and, and write a smart contract on a blockchain. You cannot as easily do that in traditional finance. So that's one of the main that's that's one of, that's one of the main differences. So uh, there's a bit of a uh, 
of a egalitarian streak, which I think is uh, uh, which I think is misplaced. And 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 I, I do think there's some problems in traditional finance, and 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 they do not come from. Uh, it's not a, it's not a it's it's not a question of uh, of money. It's a question of power. Uh, and I, and and I, and I don't think that there's a tremendous amount of I don't think there's a tremendous amount of power of the financial industry over politics. I think it's the opposite. Interesting. It is interesting to think of. And uh, in, in regards to Bitcoin now, so do you think Bitcoin will ever change its proof of work implementation or improve it radically? Looking wide into the future, could there even be a point where Bitcoiners would push to switch to proof of stake? I mean, everything's possible, right? Um, it seems unlikely because it's just become such a big part of the culture and such a big part of the brand that I don't, I, you know, I don't see it happening. At some point, I, at some point I did, uh, maybe uh, like 10 years ago, uh, but I haven't, thought that, I haven't thought it possible for a very, very, uh, for a very long time. Right, sort of, it's with the brand now, right? So it's not going to change, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Something more specific to what we have coming up in the next few days here, liquidity baking. It's going live in about, Two months or so, right? So, can you explain a no, little bit? Days. Few days, sorry, few days. Yeah, so, eleven days. Eleven days. So, can you explain a little bit about what liquidity baking is in a few words? Uh, what do you think will be the implications of that on the overall network and ecosystem? And do you think that these implications on proof of stake security will be impacted? And will there yeah. be a competition to make the network less secure now? Yeah, yeah. So, um, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, Liquidity baking. So the idea of liquidity baking is that you add a little bit, um, you 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 create a you create you create what is called a a constant function market maker on the chain. So the most popular one is Uniswap, uh, and it's based on the idea that I have two assets A and B, and I'm going to try to maintain the product A times B constant and charge a fee. That's been very very uh, has been a very very popular model. So you create a contract like this on Tezos chain. And you do it between Tez and between another, another asset, typically one which might be very liquid. So um, in, the, in this case, in this implementation, uh, the one that was retained was one called TZBTC, which is a wrapped Bitcoin, and it's wrapped by a set of uh, uh, a set of custodians. So you, you create a market like this, and then you subsidize it by adding at every block um, a little bit of Tez. You add a little bit of Tez inside of the uh, uh, of the contract at every block, so that when you provide liquidity in this contract, you get rewarded like this. So you get rewarded by fees, but you also like you also get some tests for, for for doing it. Um, and you know, if, if the idea of this and this is you know primarily an experiment because the amount is it's quite small. Um, you know, if it's, it's it's over a period of six of six months, and a total amount of reward would uh, would amount to a zero point one five percent expansion of the Tesla supply. So you're talking about you know. 0.15% uh, compared to the variation of like the, 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 the crypto market. This is, this is a blip, um, but it can have a, uh, it can have an interesting, uh, it can have an interesting effect uh, because it can bring a lot of um, liquidity. Uh, one definition of money is that it's the most liquid minimum of exchange. And so uh, having a, uh, this decentralized mechanism of uh, promoting the liquidity is, I think, quite interesting to observe. Um, and it's been, you know, uh, it's been done in uh, uh, on, on you know on, for other projects, but not for L1s. You know, it's it's been done generally as a mean of uh, distribution, more so than actual promotion of liquidity. So it'll be interesting to see what um, 
it will be interesting to see what happens in terms of uh, the, the the proof of work uh, the proof of stake security uh, essentially what secures the chain is uh, the the bakers and the bonds which are at stake so that doesn't change you know the amount of bonds that needs to be placed are going to be uh, pretty much are going to be pretty much the same so um, it, what changes is a, is a total inflation. So there's a little bit of inflation. So there's a little bit of a cost. So it's not like you're saying we're going to take away from the security budget and use that for for baking. What you're saying is you're saying like no, we're going to uh, inflate a little bit more in this case by 0.15 percent over six months and use that to uh, to pay for something. So and paying for public goods with a little bit of inflation is something that was part of the original. Uh, Tezos position paper and it's one, you know, one of the value of the project. So uh, the ability to do that is, I think, quite unique in uh, in chains which have governance. If we didn't have governance, it would be much, much harder to do this. Okay, so so if I'm right here, there's still a bond required for the liquidity baking that's taking place? No, no, in liquidity baking, you you basically, the idea of liquidity baking is it, 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 it's just like name baking because it's, you know, there's liquidity mining and but it doesn't have anything to do with block production or, or, or bonds. What you do is that you provide liquidity in a, in a, in a CFMM contract, a, a Uniswap-like contract, essentially. Okay. So I think that's going to be definitely more uh, incentives for people that are chasing yield, right, uh, to lock their liquidity up and, and benefit from this additional 0.15% uh, inflation. So that's huge. And of course, there's risk that comes with it because, you know, in general, you know, if 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 you take if you if you have a position as a liquidity provider in this, you can be adversely selected. So you know, uh, these things can be very volatile. Maybe Bitcoin moves against Tez or or vice versa, and then you know, people are going to to, to trade against you on the chain. So, uh, and I, just, I hate the word, but people have, have referred to this as impermanent loss. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in in market making, we, 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 uh, it's just it's generally called just toxicity or or adverse selection. Uh, but it's you know there's there's a cost uh, and there's a and, and there's a reward which is both the uh, the subsidy and uh, and the fees and so at at some point it should equilibrate so that's you know the 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 reward uh, uh, equilibrates with the uh, with the, with the cost. Yeah, very exciting, and I'm sure we'll be putting out some kind of tutorial or research report on liquidity baking once it goes live. So stay tuned, guys, for that. Um, Thank you. Arthur. It's been it's been amazing talking to you today. It's been great catching up with you. It's been too long, my friend. Likewise, <laughs> so, Thank you. And how can people follow up with you or learn more about the stuff you're working on? Uh, I follow me on Twitter uh, at at a r t h u r b on uh, uh, on Twitter, and uh, I, I generally post the type of you know the things that I'm that I'm doing, and I also retweet a lot of the uh, a lot of the projects from the Tezos ecosystem. So in general, if you, if you follow me, you'll get a good uh, a good handle on what's going on. Excellent. Go, go check out Arthur on Twitter, guys, and be sure to check out previous episodes of Staking Mondays. We've had interviews with Tor Bear from Secret Network, Do Kwan from Terra Money, Zaki Manya from Cosmos, Stani from Ave, and stay tuned for next week's episode with Kwa Wang from DeFi Alliance. So please, guys, be sure to smash that like button here, subscribe to our channel, and as always, happy staking. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>